on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown, we jump right into football guys talking basketball and recap episodes 9 and 10 of The Last Dance and give our takeaways from the documentary. We talk about the latest news in college football, including Lincoln Riley's comments about players returning to campus and break down OU's big recruiting weekend. We give our winners and losers of the weekend and talk Tesla in Tulsa and alcohol delivery in keeping it local. As always, we finish with your Twitter questions. Make sure you and all your friends download the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a review. A good review would be appreciated. Go follow the podcast's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook page. Don't forget to watch the YouTube video of each episode. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right, our man Michael Hostie will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, May 18th. Now recording this on Sunday night. We just watched the last two episodes of The Last Dance. It's over, Teddy. I know. What are we going to do? do? What the hell are we supposed to do? Count down the days until the uh, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa uh, 30 for 30 comes on. I mean, that's about all we can do, right? I, I, I don't know about you, but. Certainly one of probably my favorite sports documentary I've ever seen. And tonight's episodes just kind of put a little cherry on top. Uh, I thought it was extremely well done, clearly. Uh, I think we're going to be talking about this for a long, long time. But anytime an episode starts with the phrase, don't ever talk trash to black Jesus (laughs) – you know you're off to a hot start. Oh, my gosh. That was funny. Um, Reggie Miller, man, I, I knew that they had always uh, competed like crazy against each other, and I can remember it, but it was good to see some of those old clips, wasn't it? Uh, Reggie Miller, he's not the guy that you would ever think of as like a, a tough guy, you know, in the NBA, but he was fearless, man. He was fearless, and he tried to take it to Jordan – uh, a bunch of different times. So that was fun watching those guys scrap it up a little bit. Yeah, and clearly we are starting off this episode with football guys talking basketball because we know that everyone is here for FGTB. And that's a, that's a great point, Teddy, because I was thinking when Jordan was talking about how tough the 98 Eastern Conference Finals were, I assume if you were on that Indiana team, you were absolutely flattered hearing him say that. I mean, and that's, and I don't think that's an over-exaggeration. I think flattered is probably the best word. Anything that Jordan said positive about anyone throughout this documentary, I was fucking shocked because (laughs) I, 
I didn't think he was going to say anything positive about anybody just from the mentality that had been established throughout this documentary. And all of a sudden he starts off with saying, yeah, that Pacers team, they were tough. And when it, when it dawned on me that a guy, and he did what he did in that, the 98 finals against the Jazz, but when a guy scores 41 in a conference finals game and he's done the next year, like he doesn't play basketball anymore, it, it's hard to fathom when you think about what Jordan did in that playoff run in 98, and then all of a sudden, poof, he's gone. It's crazy. I mean – you know, and they were talking about it leading up. I mean, it wasn't like a surprise thing, right? It was talked about before the season even started after they won their fifth championship if they were going to do it again. So it was a farewell tour and everyone knew it. But as you heard Jordan at the end of it, he was one to go for seven. Can you imagine Michael Jordan being on your team wanting to go for seven with the same crew and being like, nah, you know, it's just, you know, money wise. It's just like, it's that part that's changed more than anything. That would never happen today. They would ride that team to the end. I mean, they would continue to sell out crowds home and away just for people to see them. It would be worth it money wise with that team. And just think of the fan response, right? It, all of a sudden you're winning all these championships and then management and ownership are just like, yeah, we'll just blow it up. Fine. Well, I mean, you could, <laughs> I mean, we'd all be I'm, like that lady in the Indiana stands, just screaming our heads off with oh the Karen haircut. She's <laughs> famous now, by the way. Imagine, you know, if, if everyone is like, this is the farewell, uh, farewell tour. This is it. It's over. And then, you know, you hold your final press conference to say your final, um, final little, you know, exit interview, exit uh, statements. And Jordan's like, you know, that was fun. It was real fun. Why don't we go for seven? And, I mean, can you imagine, like, what people would do? So, yeah, th that's the craziest thing is that they blew that team up. And we're trying to blow it up for several years. It's crazy. Um, one of the things that really stood out to me in episode nine was Reggie Miller, uh, like you mentioned is specifically that famous game four there in the Eastern Conference Finals where Pippen misses the free throws. And then Reggie Miller, two-hand shoves Michael <laughs> Jordan. But the one interesting thing about it is you never heard, and I don't recall, maybe I could be wrong, maybe a clip exists where Michael Jordan says, yeah, he pushed off. Right. I think Jordan respected the hell out of Reggie Miller for pushing the shit out of him and getting a good shot and hitting a game winner. I think you, and you could almost see it on Jordan's face after the game, when they were showing the clip, it was like he had been out duped. Yep. He had been outclassed and that is not a guy that was used to getting outclassed. So I thought that that was one of those moments where I was like, Jordan's not going to say it, but he respected the hell out of Reggie Miller in that moment. I mean, it's so smart. We always, you know, whenever, I don't know, it's uh, football-wise, if you're, you're throwing a, a fade route to the end zone on the last play of the game or in basketball someone's trying to, to go to the rim for a final uh, layup or dunk to win it, you know, the officials, what do they always do? They're going to let it play. You're going to get away with a lot more on that play 
than you will in any other play throughout the game. And Reggie said, that's what he said. He's going to put it on the officials. And I'm sure that Jordan had some things to say about that push off uh, post game with his teammates. And I mean, maybe, maybe there's some, some clips of him talking with the media, but when it's all said and done, we could probably go to the, uh, the film room and find a million instances where Jordan did the same exact thing. Oh, for for sure, and Which, I, by the I, way, that the final shot. What did you think of the push off? Oh, that's not a push off. And now, maybe in today's NBA, because Brian Russell, and remember, people, it's Brian spelled really weird. There's an O and a Y. It's not Byron. It's Brian. The guy is remembered for that shot, and everyone still gets his name wrong, which has to be incredibly infuriating for Brian Russell. But well, if someone's going to get your name wrong, it's whenever you get a shot hit on you. That's the good Yeah, thing, that's, right? that's a good point. Maybe he should have made a little more noise in his career and people would get his name right and spell it right. But the funny thing about that is Reggie Miller hits that shot and he's celebrating like he's won the game and all of a sudden they look and there's time left on the clock. I will say one thing. There's no way you can double pump a shot like that in 0.7 seconds. Right. I was it's thinking impossible. the exact same thing. Well, you know, they there was a point in time when they came up with the rules on a on what you can do and can't with with the amount of time left on the clock. I don't know when exactly that was, but they did kind of finally come up with that. But that that's funny that remind me of <laughs> of uh uh, Larry Bird, whenever Reggie Miller hit that shot, it didn't even, I mean, didn't unfazed. change. <laughs> unfazed. Like, that is the definition of unfazed. That was hilarious. That was that was probably my favorite part of the whole, of the whole uh, episode nine. Have, have you ever seen a human being look less excited in a game-winning moment? I mean, even Bill Belichick looks more excited than that. The only person I can think of who looks less excited in a massive moment is Kyler Murray's dad. That's the only person I can think of. He never cracked a smile at the Heisman Trophy celebration, at any of the games. He is as stone-faced as uh, Larry Bird is. Yeah, I would say probably Bob Huggins also up there. I, I, I don't think Bob, I've seen – Bob Huggins could turn that shot into an angry moment somehow. Yeah, he, he would be furious somehow, <laughs> but very comfortable in his uh, pullover always I, I did like how it was bouncing back and forth between the 98 run and the 97 run I think a lot of people especially some young people that weren't alive when this was all going down I think some people learned that who the hell Carl Malone was tonight yeah. yep I mean <laughs> I, I knew whenever they said well, what was your motivation going into that series? And I think that was the 97 series, actually. Carmelone MVP. And he, you knew Jordan would have something. There was going to be somebody somewhere that wronged him at some point, and he was going to use that as fire. And that's exactly what he did with Carl Malone, who was a massive individual. And, you know, I've forgotten how good John Stockton was. He's like, he's one of the greatest players that never gets mentioned. Just and because he looks like an insurance salesman, still. <laughs> doesn't mean he wasn't a hell of a basketball player. I mean, the guy is in the Hall of Fame, people. It's crazy. Put some respect on John Stockton and those short shorts. The guy could ball. I don't want to hear, oh, well, back he would never be able to play in today's league. Go watch Stockton. 
He is a I, Hall of Fame player for a reason. He was an absolute baller. And they fit perfect together, he and uh, Malone did. I actually wrote it down here whenever I was watching it that Stockton, when he was playing, looked like a congressman, and he still does. I mean, he is like – he looks like the perfect politician. And he looks – I don't know how old he was whenever he was playing in 98, but he looks the exact same age as he does now. Hasn't aged a day. <laughs> Somehow, Hilarious. it's pretty impressive. I think he, he's probably looked 45 or so since he was 18. That's probably that, the, the magic number for him. I, I think a lot of people already knew that the flu game wasn't really the flu. Now, the fact that Jordan and his trainer and the security people have never said the name of the pizza place makes me a little skeptical of that whole story. Now. I do Sirius XM Big 12 radio with Holly Rowe. And she told me a story. She was working those games in Utah. And they actually, the Bulls medical staff actually thoroughly interviewed her because she got food poisoning at the same time as Michael Jordan. Huh. And the theory she told me was that it had to do there used to be, I guess, during like shoot around, the media would be there and stuff, and there'd be like a cart of food for the production crews. And allegedly, he grabbed something off the cart, and they thought maybe that's what happened. So they put her through like some tests and asked her a bunch of questions about it. Hmm. So I don't know if I believe the pizza thing. I'm going to go ahead and believe Michael Jordan because, well, he's Michael Jordan. But there are some conflicting reports is how right. I will put it. That's what I was going to say is, you know, they all seemed like they were very, uh, it was sync. a little too clean, right? Right. Like trying to hit around, like maybe someone put something in the pizza, five guys delivered the pizza. Um, I, I don't know. The only thing I've ever heard, and I don't know a whole lot about this, but I've heard that he was what in Vegas, right? Is that is that the the theory is that he went down to Vegas and had a, a late night and got back and it well, was the hangover game and not the flu game. And remember, that's kind of similar to Donovan McNabb in the Super Bowl, right? We've all yeah. heard those rumors. What he couldn't shake like a three day hangover. Honestly, would it really shock anyone if Jordan did that? If he needed to get away, I, I mean. We saw Dennis Rodman was missing practice during the NBA finals to go do professional wrestling. <laughs> now it was with Hulk Hogan. So, and NWO was badass. I was an NWO man back I in the day. Too. I just, I mean, stuff like that doesn't happen anymore, Teddy. It's just, it was a different time and it wasn't that far ago, but it's just, it's just crazy to think about, well, if Jordan went to Vegas, he still won, so I really don't care. Here's the, you know, the interesting thing about the Vegas theory is if you saw Michael Jordan in Vegas the night before a Utah Jazz uh, finals game in Utah, I mean, I know people didn't have cameras on their their cell phones like you do now but like it would be 
it wouldn't be as secret as it is. Like, it wouldn't just be a theory, right? There'd be, like, some serious hard evidence of him being out. Uh, there would have had to been a copious amount of non-disclosure agreements signed, I assume. But you also hear these stories about, like, Charles Barkley and Tiger Woods going to Vegas and everything being very secretive and no one ever finding out about this stuff until it's written in books years later. So yeah, I don't know. Sure. I, I'll go ahead and believe. I'm, I'm sure he, if theory. he went, he wasn't uh, hanging out at the, uh, the casino floor at um, Caesar's palace. Okay. I he would have been in a different spot. I assume the casino came to Michael Jordan is probably the best way <laughs> right. to put it. There was a bungalow or some sort of, sweet just something absurd and they probably just set stuff up in his room for him and everyone came to him that wouldn't surprise me at all well um it was interesting that his mom talked about it like she's only made a couple of appearances in the in the whole documentary and she made an appearance there to say that uh you know he said he wasn't going to play and all this different stuff so i thought that was interesting but okay let's assume that in this documentary they which shouldn't they have even brought up that at least brought that up. I mean, they brought up some of the things with his dad. Why didn't they bring that up? You yeah. That, I, I mean, I'm sure they did, but it probably I, got once cut again, out. Yeah. I mean, Michael Jordan had, he, he completely controlled all this footage. I'm sure he was, I don't know how involved he was in the editing process, but I assume he had final veto power over everything. And he should. Yeah. I mean, he's once again, he's Michael Jordan. So, it's right. just kind of how the rules work. Well, I guess what I'm asking is, let's say that it's documented and that's actually what happened. Does that change his legacy at all? No, because he was hung over and still scored, what, 38? Yeah. I mean, I mean, who cares? <laughs> for those that have had a hangover like that, it's probably more impressive than food poisoning or the flu. <laughs> I think it would even enhance his legacy, right? That's what I'm like he all was you sick. Do is- Change it from the flu game to the hangover game. That's it. He had alcohol poisoning and still played. Guy's unbelievable. He's a superhuman. And I, I do think, you know, kind of finishing out episode nine, Steve Kerr, I, I knew some of that. I had vaguely read about some of that. Mm-hmm. But you can think what you want about Steve Kerr because I know a lot of people um, – especially around here, disagree with his politics. And, you know, I disagree with some of the things he says, but that guy seems like a terrific human being. Mm-hmm. I mean, to it, it kind of made sense, you know, why he's so intellectual. You hear his parents, uh, you see his dad and his dad being murdered there in Beirut. That That had to just be a horrible experience. And I thought it was really, I don't want to say weird, but, and you don't really get into each other's personal lives usually in a professional locker room. I mean, you, your colleagues, you, you work yeah. together. A lot of people may not realize that. But I found it interesting that him and Michael Jordan didn't bond at all over losing their dads. I, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, I, I, can, I can put myself there, and I'm kind of a um, – I don't – don't deal with emotion and stuff like that very well so what (laughs) no way man shocking right you're an open book so i can imagine that 
you know, Jordan doesn't, even though he seems like a guy that he had his people that were close to him that were um, obviously there was people he could go to with some, with some things whenever he needed to, but it's a, a locker room's a weird place to go to someone and say, Hey, I know what you're going through. I've been through the same thing. I don't know why it sh- it doesn't seem like it should be, but it kind of is. Especially I, you know, with I, I don't know. especially for basketball guys, right? There's only a handful mm-hmm. of you. You spend so much time together, but that is something that as I'm watching the documentary, I'm thinking the whole time like would this be different now? And, and I think that's something that maybe would be different now. Kind of like the shooting game they were playing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, which is a a shot we see Steph Curry hit every game, Trey Young hit all the time, and these guys are, you know, playing a game, getting ready to go for a championship, and they're you just yelling when Jordan hits from the hash mark, and it's like, yeah, we see guys do that all the time. That's isn't that where the three point line is now? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. But uh, I I do wonder if it would be today if those two guys would be able to connect on that because I do think that that has, you know, guys have gotten more comfortable with maybe expressing themselves in that way in professional sports. And, and, and I think that's a positive development. Uh, you know, I, I agree with that. And that's, that's interesting to see how that, that would go that type of locker room dynamic. And I wonder about like, would Jordan have been a successful in this era, forget the basketball skill. Okay, for, forget. Would his game translate to today? Would have been game? kicked out of the league for bullying. What? Yeah, that, kind of what I'm asking is, you know, and I don't know what, and maybe you you know some guys like in a football locker room where it's a little bit different, or quite a bit different actually. But would he have been able to reign over a locker room like that? I mean, did Russell Westbrook? I mean, is, is that? kind of the way he ran his locker room I mean I don't know it seems like you would get not necessarily more pushback but more guys that instead of saying okay this is his team we're going to ride with him you know he's the alpha in this group you'd have guys that would kind of just instead check out maybe yeah and I guess the closest we've seen right from a mentality perspective everyone points to Kobe Bryant Mm -hmm. and the way that he was able to conduct himself with the Lakers and be that demanding. I, I think it would work. I, I know a lot of people don't think it would work, but I've seen it so many times where guys will fall in line. If a guy's that good and that talented you and win. backs up everything he says and you win games, guys will put up with a lot. I mean, they really will. Now, would he have gotten more pushback and probably got punched in the face a couple times? Yeah, probably. Maybe those guys get traded after that. I don't know. But (laughs) yeah, it it would be interesting. And that's kind of one of my big takeaways from the documentary is how, if at all, will this change how we see teammates treat each other? Because you and I both see it when we're doing OU games or just watching, like teammates certainly are nicer to each other probably. And, and Jordan was a master at just giving these guys shit, right? I, I don't think everything was personal with him. I'm sure there was lots of great moments, but 
it will be interesting, the kids watching this documentary, because it's the most popular thing on the face of the earth right now. These 12, 13, 14-year-old kids, are they going to try to adopt that mentality? Because right now in youth sports, and I don't have any kids or anything like that, but I think that mentality has been phased out, especially at younger ages where you're not supposed to treat people like that anymore in sports. Right. right. Well, I mean, I think part of the reason it's not like that anymore was because we're not coached the same anymore. Right. And whenever you're not, whenever it's not absolutely brutal coming from the coaches, then it's less brutal coming from the players. Right. The, the players usually kind of mirror that ultra demanding demeanor on the team whenever it's coming from the top. And I know it's different in that case with, with Phil and Michael Jordan. Those guys couldn't have been two different types of guys that had a completely different separate, uh, a different way of approaching things. But, you know, whenever you're in an environment that it's brutal and it's tough and that starts at the top with the coaching staff, it usually continues at the next level with the players as well. At least that's been my experience of it. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm with you. And sports are just different now. Now, there's still, you know, people are still playing the same games, but there has been a shift, even from when you were playing. Teddy, yeah. there, there's been a big shift between or with how people are supposed to treat each other on a team. And uh, I think it's going to be really interesting five years from now when these kids that are 13 years old are going to college, are they, are, are, is there going to be this big wave of kids trying to adopt the Jordan mentality, trying to mimic what he did similar to what we saw with Kobe Bryant? Now, I also think you just have to have part of that in you. Yeah. Now, clearly you have to be talented and great to treat people that way. You do. I mean, you can't be bad and treat people that way people no. will not put up with it <laughs> it won't last very long so I, I i'm really really interested to see if we see more of it simply because of this documentary's influence and maybe i'm thinking that this documentary will influence more people than it actually will but i know that part of me was watching this going man if I would have just been a little more like that, maybe I would have played 10 years or something. I mean, there was a small part of me thinking that as I was watching it. Well, I mean, it is interesting to, to, to think about what the reaction is going to be. And I think if you go out and you have that type of confidence, you de you're that demanding of your teammates, and you, the what episode was it where he said, you know, if, if I never asked them to do something that I wasn't doing myself, and that's kind of like the way I look at it. If you go out and show that it means that much to you, you're that demanding, you're right there every second of the day, you're in the gym more than the rest of the guys you're putting in the extra work and you're starting to hold other guys accountable to that standard. I think that is a great way to conduct yourself. Uh, is there going to be some some chirping along the way? Yeah, I didn't see anything that was was that bad. I've seen worse stuff in a locker room. Oh yeah, um, 
you know, I, I, so that wasn't that bad for me. The worst thing I saw about Jordan through this is his inability to give anyone a, a good job <laughs> that he played against or played with throughout, you know, his entire career. That was but that, Carl but Malone ethic. comes on. He, he like Carl Malone finds him after every game. Right, they're going through these hard-fought finals, and Carl Malone like he comes on the bus after he just lost the finals, and he's like, "Yeah, hey, tell your wife I said what's up." It's like there's he he was just a certain type of way. I don't I don't think he was a big affection guy. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's 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 interesting, but I do think that people youngsters that are still playing maybe. You know, there's a lot of pros and all the sports that are sitting at home watching this thing, too, that are probably going to, you know, I know we're talking about the young guys, but I bet there's going to be some guys, you know, that are playing in, in the big leagues in whatever sport that are going to say, you know what, I need to rethink my approach. Especially, so if, they've been, especially if they've been a part of a bunch of losing teams, right? And right. they've been one of the best players. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting point. It, it'll also be interesting to see – if any of these NBA guys will start rocking the khaki cargo shorts that Steve Kerr was donning on during his speech after hitting the game winner, Great those speech, bad boys. Oh, what what were better? What was better, the speech or the shorts? This I, I there's a three way tie between the speech, the shorts, and the shades that all those guys were wearing. Uh, that were just so awful. There's there's some things in the 90s that were uh, maybe will never be paralleled. Uh, some of the sports, um, some of the music, you know, in all different genres, there's all kinds of great things about the 90s, but the fashion can stay, right? The, uh, oh, come flannel, on, man. 90s fashion flannel, was the best. Gigantic suits that hang off of you like you're they're on a hanger and the jorts that Steve Kerr had on. The the cargo shorts for Steve Kerr were absolutely phenomenal. If you're going to give a speech that 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 is that good, you can wear whatever you wear please. whatever you want. I mean, he he I absolutely crushed that. Now, one thing I I thought that episode ten, especially when you're looking at remembering the '98 finals and and the last dance, I I thought it was a good look for Scottie Pippen playing through the back because. Anybody that has ever had back spasms or a back injury that lingers, it is the worst shit in the world. And I've been extremely fortunate. I, I never had a back issue when I was playing. Now that I am getting old and I do nothing that resembles playing football, my back will lack, will lock up every once in a while. And I'm like, what the hell? Like I didn't have a single problem when I was blocking 320 pound human beings. He fought through a lot. You could tell in that game, he was just hurting. And I thought that that was a good look. And that's something that once again, we talk about the influence that this is going to have. There's going to be guys that are hurting and they're having back spasm. They're having pain. They're going to go, Hey, Scotty Pippen did it. I got to do it. That's probably, you know, honestly, and some people will push back on this now, but there's probably a lot of Scotty Pippen that was in that locker room getting his back stretched saying, if I don't get out there and we lose, I will never hear the end of it from Michael Jordan for the rest of my life. 
You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, that's probably – that voice from Jordan was probably in his head when he was in there. Because oh, of all the things 100%. that they've gone through, all the different, you know, whatever – I wouldn't call them fights, but tiffs that they've had throughout the years. He's probably sitting there thinking, dude, it's going to be horrible, but I at least have to be out there or Jordan will just hammer me. I just uh, I, I just thought it – it reflected really well on Pippen, especially when he he did have it. <laughs> he, he had some rough he had some rough moments up to this point in the documentary, but just one of the greatest runs we'll ever see in sports. Now, who knows what would have happened if Jordan would have taken if he wouldn't have taken those two years off for baseball. Maybe it wouldn't have been the same. Maybe that was the reset he needed. But I, I thought the line, they can't win until we quit, that was that was a pretty cool way to finish this thing off. And we need to start doing the director's technique of the iPad interview with the yeah. live reaction. The live His reaction. reaction to Reinsdorf's interview about blowing the team up was – incredible that was fantastic i mean because a lot of these things are you know there's been a, a lot of years passed since then and you may hear a different perspective maybe than what you heard at the time the truth has a, a way of finally surfacing a little bit at least all of the truth i guess so that was interesting i mean the, the way that whole thing played out was was fascinating but you know, all in all, I thought the the documentary was was really cool, really well done. Came out at a perfect time whenever we needed it. Uh, but I got to say, biggest disappointment in the documentary. Um, we needed more Carmen Electra. Sorry, Ooh. only a couple of appearances. She but... was bringing the fastball, <laughs> hundred hundred miles an hour. But it was it was fantastic. I loved it. Um, I don't know what we're gonna do now. That's the that's the one drawback. Yeah, well, we had some what? We had some German soccer creep into our lives this weekend. There was a random skins game in golf. Matthew Wolf was in it, which was cool. Little local flavor from the Oklahoma State Cowboy and Ricky Fowler. So a lot of Oklahoma flavor in that one. And then NASCAR. I guess I could try to get into NASCAR. Hey. I, I, I respect the hell out of those guys. I just don't find it very entertaining. Yeah, I don't know what we're going to do, but uh, I know what this podcast is going to do, and we're going to talk about college football because that's why people are here. They want to hear us talk about college football and the big national stories in college football from the weekend just happen to also be the big local stories. So that's extremely convenient. I, I always say there's no better place in the country to do sports talk radio because – it seems like this is the center of the sports world whenever it comes to uh, American sports, whether it's basketball, PG, uh, NBA, NFL, with, with the draft picks that we have. There's always someone tied here. There's always something going on that's tied directly to Oklahoma. It's so much fun. And Lincoln Riley made some headlines this weekend uh, with his conference call on Friday. And I think people were just surprised. I, I, I don't think anyone necessarily was angry 
or thought what he said was foolish. I think people were just shocked to hear a football coach say that football doesn't need to return as quickly as possible, that he didn't need his players back as soon as possible. I think that really caught people off guard. If you don't know what we're talking about, Lincoln Riley comes out and says, quote, wanting to bring players back on June 1st is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. And that got a big-time reaction, especially when you see presidents in the SEC are going to vote on whether or not to extend the moratorium on athletics this week. I think people just couldn't process the fact that Lincoln Riley didn't say, we need to get back to work as soon as possible. I think people were stunned. Well, yeah, I was stunned. Um, I think it's, I just think it's really interesting. I, I don't know, I don't know what the approach is. Is he, is this a, is this a statement to put a ton of public pressure on the SEC that's about to vote? Because what, the last three years, We've played an SEC team in the college football playoff, and the last thing we want is the SEC getting back and being with their players and having an advantage over us that that we don't have. Is it a mass? Is that what he's doing? Is he trying to apply some public pressure there? Are you saying this man is playing 3D chess and not well, just checkers? Because I don't, I. It just doesn't really make any sense to me, because, like the players are at home now. They're working out now. I mean, someone's got to explain to me why it's safer to work out at a Gold's Gym in Dallas than it is to work out at the workout facility at OU. It's an empty campus. So I think his general thought process is we need to wait as long as we can before bringing these guys back. And I, I don't think it's necessarily the thought is, hey, the campus is safer, which if you have them all tested when they arrive and they've got top flight medical care and, you know, really clean facilities to work at, and yeah, they clearly can make the argument that campus may be safer for the players. But just seeing the proposed protocol that Major League Baseball laid out made me realize that this thing is not as simple as a lot of people think it is. And I do agree with Lincoln Riley. I think it's the intelligent approach. Uh, It may not be the most popular approach. It may not be the most football guy approach. But he made it clear that he wants to gather as much information as possible before bringing their players back. And I think that's the smart thing to do. I also think that college football coaches, some of them at least, they want to buy as much time as possible so that they can see what some of these other teams or leagues are doing. Like, let's, let's not forget, we, we've got the NBA right here in Oklahoma City. 
they're not back in the facility. And that's 15 guys. And they're professionals. Now, they also have a union, which college football players do not. That's the big difference. Like, Major League – I gave up on Major League Baseball a long time ago for them playing. The players don't want to play. They they want a year off. I mean, they've they've basically decided that – I mean – I can't say all of them have decided, but a big enough group of them have decided that, ah, so late, I'm just going to take this year off. I made $30 million last year. You know, let's just take the year off. I mean, there, there is not going to be any proposal Major League Baseball brings out that those guys are going to agree to, in my opinion, at this point. Yeah, and, and it was, you know, it was, it was an interesting week when it came to news from Major League Baseball where the owners come out and say, hey, if you guys get those prorated salaries you want, if we play any games over 82, what I, I think they lose, they would lose like $640,000 a game or something like that is the figure that the owners put out there because there would be no fans. And clearly the gate is very important. But yeah, I, I think Lincoln Riley took that position because he has gathered some information with the meetings he's had with the leadership at the university of Oklahoma. And I think, and we've seen this before, they are going to be cautious. They are that, that now they are modeling everything. Joe Castiglione has talked about, it. they are putting plans in place for all kinds of different scenarios, but, I also don't think it's a bad look for recruiting for Lincoln Riley to say what he said. He basically came out and said, hey, I want it to be as safe as possible for the players when they come back. I don't think that's ever a bad thing to say. I think that's a smart position. Now, some people may argue that the players would be safer coming back than they are at their house. Okay. But as long as Lincoln Riley is putting the message out there that, hey, this is for the players, I'm doing what's best for my guys, I'm always going to support that position, Ted. Yeah, I mean, it is an interesting thing to think about recruiting-wise, how that would factor in. Because, you know, one, a, a, a parent's, one, one kid's parents may say, well, Lincoln Riley was wanting to do what's best for the player. And another kid's parents might say, well, it's clear that the Big 12 doesn't want to get back out on the football field. And the SEC does. You know, it's, it's, it means more in the SEC. It just right? means more, baby. Uh, you know, so I, I don't know. That is an I- interesting thought. But I don't know. I guess my question is, what's not the most ridiculous thing? Like, okay, if they vote, they're going to bring them back June 1st. That's the most ridiculous thing ever is June 14th. Is that okay? Or is and, that and remember, not the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard, but still ridiculous? Like, what's, like what do you, what's the line you're basing that off of? Are you basing it off of the number of active uh, cases? Are you basing it off of uh, testing uh, percent of – I just don't know where, like, where, where that gauge comes from. Yeah, I, I don't know if – he chose the best words saying it was the most ridiculous thing. You know, people are going to dissect the diction there, but if you can wait as long as possible, and it seems like 
the cutoff date is in the middle of July. If you can be as prepared as possible and have your protocols in place to keep the student athletes as safe as you possibly can, I think that's the best way to go about it. I want guys back working out together and laughing together in the locker room and hanging out as much as anyone. I want those guys to have those experiences. But the bottom line is this whole thing is fucked up. And people are just trying to make the best of it. You can't rush it. That's my fear is that if you rush it and you don't have all the protocols in place and you're not as safe as you possibly can be, then something bad can happen and we could start all over. And well, that would be horrible. This is kind of the what we've talked about before with college football. You know, I, I've got I've got my ideas of, of the direction I think they should go. Uh, someone else has different ideas of the direction they should go. The problem is there's no unifying voice in the NCAA. I think what Lincoln ultimately wants, not only is it safe, but it's fair, is the NCAA to come out and say, here's the day you can report. This is whenever – this is whatever you you can report you have to and here's the safety things that requirements that you need to meet to be able to do that by this date and if there was a voice like that then we could all say okay we feel good about this we feel like it's going to be safe and we feel like it's going to be fair because everyone's going at the same exact time but unfortunately we're not going to get that yeah we we don't have that leader in college football and Mark Emmert, remember he already came out and said, the NCAA, we're not doing that. We don't want that problem on our hands. One interesting thing to think about. We mentioned that college football doesn't have a union like the NBA, like major league baseball. If these kids ever wanted to unionize or do something similar this is the ultimate leverage position for them. If they want to get more rights as student athletes, round up all those nerds at Stanford and Northwestern and all these smart schools, and they need to start talking and they need to get something out of this. Because, right, it, although we would think the risk going back to campus with how nice, you know, strength and conditioning facilities and training facilities and all the you know, safety precautions that are going to be in place, they're still assuming some risk for no compensation. Now, there's some people out there going, well, they get their scholarship paid for it. We all know that they're worth more than that. So I am going to be keeping my eye out for a couple of those nerd football players that realize the leverage position they're in right now. Oh, coach, you want me to come back? You want to earn that salary? Well, you're, you're going to have to give us a little something, NCAA or University of Oklahoma or something. I will not be shocked when that happens. Actually, I would be shocked if that doesn't happen, Ted. Yeah, um, that's true. There is some truth to that, but unfortunately – the position that they're in right now, 
uh, this, a lot of schools. Well, we saw Bowling Green had to cut. Uh, what they cut men's baseball. Um, was it Akron that had to cut? Uh, what men's golf, men's tennis, and women's? You know, they had to cut three sports. And they're not they're not the first, and they're not going to be the last because of all of lost revenue. You know, there's going to be the football players say, you know what, we're going to unionize and we, this is what we need before we come back. And, and they're The athletic directors are going to say, well, okay, well, we just had to ax baseball because of that. Um, another week. Okay. There goes uh, men's and women's basketball. Uh, clock's it's all ticking. your fault. Football players. Clock's ticking. Uh, your track buddies got about, I don't know how long before uh, that program's gone. So, I mean, there's Oklahoma is, most athletic departments are not like Oklahoma, no. right? Where you've got coaches that coach there for a lifetime, where you've got tons of wins and beautiful facilities and the money seems like it's never going to stop coming in. Most athletic departments are just trying to figure out a way that they're going to be able to uh, be appealing enough to, to get some decent recruits and, and outfit all of their teams and, and do the thing right. And, the margin for error in there is about razor thin of the whole thing kind of caving in on top of them. So I'm, I'm with you. I, it wouldn't shock me if they saw this as an opportunity to have some demands about what they're going to oh, uh, require to come some back. Some kid from Duke is going to do it. I'm telling right. you. But I mean, this is uh, this is a, an interesting time for that. It could be great. It could be terrible. Yeah. And it's just, I got no idea what's about to happen in these next couple of weeks. I, I just know one thing. I'm going to keep continuing to make decisions in my life to try to ensure that college football gets played. I'm just going to keep doing my part. That's all I can do. Control myself. Control what I can control. And that's me and my family. And hopefully everyone does the same so that we're kicking off late August, early September now, Teddy, there, there was a lot of excitement in the state of Oklahoma this weekend. A lot of stuff was reopening. People were out and about. The weather on Sunday was Beautiful. unbelievable. And so was some of the things that happened in recruiting. And I, I, I'm going to start with our friends in Stillwater because, well, frankly, I have a very soft spot for Oklahoma kids. And I love when Oklahoma kids stay in the state of Oklahoma, even if it's with Oklahoma State. I don't care. I love when the best talent in this state stays home. I love it. So Oklahoma State gets a commitment from four-star linebacker Colin Oliver from Edmond Santa Fe. And all of a sudden you start thinking about these kind of hybrid defensive end linebacker guys that are coming from Edmond Santa Fe, you've got Colin Oliver yeah. now who's going to join Trace Ford unless something changes for Oliver. Still a long way to go to the finish line. But that's a great pickup for Mike Gundy in Oklahoma State. A versatile guy that can play the edge, can drop in coverage a little bit. Seems like he still has a lot of growing to do and a lot of weight to gain to fill out his frame. But Oklahoma State fans had to be very fired up about this commitment. Well, there's no doubt about it. Whenever you think about the Big 12 and the way these offenses operate, you've got to have 
tremendous edge players, guys that can do multiple things, uh, can rush the passer, can play the quarterback run game whenever it's zone read to play uh, the, the last gap there on the line of scrimmage and play the quarterback to the sideline, can drop back into coverage and maybe have to uh, go up against a slot receiver that's really nimble or a, a big tight end like a Stogner um, and be able to tackle physical backs and, and you know, fend off huge offensive linemen. So the edge players are absolutely critical. If you don't have good edge players, you don't have anything defensively in this league. So to pile up on those guys, that's a good thing. You're going to have to do that. Well, one question about Colin Oliver. Uh, you think he'll be able to set the edge on GT counter when Lincoln Riley runs it 35 times at him? Well, that's going to depend on what they tell him to. Uh, tell him to I had to. Because... I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Oklahoma State fans, but I just had to. I had to. It's still bothering me. It, I, I still can't believe it. Uh, hey, you know what? I, it, you know, some things in football change. There's no doubt about that, but some things don't. And uh, if you don't have a contained player and you, all you have over on one side is a four-eye and then a guy on the outside shade of a slot wide receiver and there's no one in between that, that's going to be bad. It's going to be bad news. Let's see if they fix that this coming year. If not, we're going to run for 500 yards on them. Well, but, yeah. uh, I'm sure that the Oklahoma State fans and the coaching staff, they don't want to think about that. They just want to be fired up that Colin Oliver is committed. He looks Congrats. like a good player. Congrats. And once again, I'm, I'm all for the Oklahoma kids. So when you see a guy from Edmond Santa Fe, a wolf, he's, he, he's staying home in the state of Oklahoma. That's a good thing in my mind. Now, well, something that is also a really good thing, five-star wide receiver. Mario Williams uh, commits to Oklahoma out of the Tampa area. He chooses OU for now over Bama, Florida, LSU, and Georgia. So we're talking heavy, heavy hitters uh, that Lincoln Riley wins over. And it seems like he's going to play baseball too. I mean, Skip Johnson was fired up throwing things out there. And this is the Kyler Murray effect. It, it really is. Uh, I think that Skip Johnson and Lincoln Riley, what they were able to do with Kyler Murray, it opens the door for any baseball-football combo guy. Oklahoma just might be first on your list. And there's some really talented baseball players that play football, but they feel like they have to choose. I mean, you can go through, especially quarterbacks, just like Kyler Murray. I mean, you can go some other in-state guys. Remember, Brandon Whedon went and played pro baseball before he played quarterback at Oklahoma State. We can go back to Chris Winkie, right? right. A guy yeah. like that at Florida State. So, I watched Mario Williams' highlight tape. I don't think he's going to be a baseball player. <laughs> I, I think that guy has some serious football talent. Uh, I was impressed. W one thing – I watch high school highlight tapes, I assume, vastly differently than a lot of people do. I don't want to see the plays where he just run, runs by everyone and catches a 75-yard touchdown pass in the air. I want to see him operating in short spaces, tight quarters, and this guy's ability to take short completions and do something with it afterwards is what got me excited. He's clearly got the speed, right? 
but the elusiveness and the acceleration after the catch and the ability already, even at a sl- in, with a slight build, to break tackles. This guy, and I hate when we comp people to someone, but when I watched him and I watched everything I could find about him, he looks a lot like Jalen Rager to me. And, and that's a guy that just went in the first round of the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he has got some serious big-time ability. Now you just got to hold on to him. Yeah. I, I thought it was a couple of things that I thought were really interesting. As a five-star wide receiver, you know, a five-star, they only award, you know, each publication only awards, what, like 25, 30, five stars a, a year? Not many. Is it's that, an elite yeah. group. It's an elite group. So if you're, if you're awarded in a five-star, that means you check every single box. And I thought it was interesting as a wide receiver to be listed at 5'10", 160, 65 pounds, as you said, a slight build, and still get the five-star rating. Um, I thought that was interesting. But if there's a place you want to go where you are not a six-foot-plus wide receiver, it's Oklahoma. I mean, think about all the guys that we've had here going all the way back to, like, Mark Clayton, I mean, Ryan Broyles, Sterling Shepard, Marquise Brown. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on of wide receivers that you wouldn't say are, um, you know, prototypical type of guys, but uh, all had fantastic college careers, got drafted really high, and had success at the next level. So I thought, you know, the first thing was, oh, five-star. I thought he was going to be bigger than this. But the other thing was, I don't care at all because I've seen year after year after year, it doesn't matter what shape you are, you're going to have a ton of success in Lincoln Riley's offense. Yeah, I, I, I think Lincoln Riley's going to find some ways to get Mario Williams the ball, if I had to guess. Um, he's got speed, but also the thing that has me excited about that elusiveness, that acceleration, he's going to make some big plays, just like Jalen Rager would have. If he would have gone to Oklahoma, but he didn't. oh god! But Talk it worked out. Worst it worked out. Ever. He still got drafted in the first round. He would have gotten drafted higher, but it, it it is what it is. Now OU gets another big commit this weekend. They beat Texas head to head for four star outside linebacker Clayton Smith, and they go into the state of Texas to do it. This is a solid win for your boy Alex Grinch, Teddy. These are the type of athletes that Oklahoma needs. These are the type of athletes that Oklahoma fans have been begging for on the defensive side of the football. Now, I watched everything I could find on Clayton Smith. He clearly can add to that frame. I think he can be exactly what you want when it comes to a hybrid defensive end linebacker type player. But the one thing that stood out to me, and the reason I think Alex Grinch probably was able to pluck him out of the state of Texas. This guy has a motor. Mm-hmm. And that is all that Alex Grinch preaches. You can make up for so many mistakes if you just play hard. And I think even though this is a really highly rated kid and he's the number one linebacker in the state of Texas, I just like the effort the kid plays with. And I'm sure that's 
the number one thing that jumped off the tape to Alex Grinch and his staff? Yeah, I'll tell you what I think is, is just fantastic right now. Clayton Smith uh, from Texarkana, obviously a four-star kid. Um, he's got a massive frame, and he's going to grow into that. You know, he could, he's listed at six foot four, 220 pounds. And you know that this time a year – I know something at, about gaining weight in college. It, 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 yeah. it can happen quickly. Well, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's going into his senior year in high school, and he's six foot four, 220. I mean, the kid, by the time he steps foot on OU's campus, he could be 250 pounds. I mean, that's, you know, that's the type of frame he's got. Um, you'd like him to build good, solid weight and, and you know, incremental, but he's going to be a massive edge player. You've got uh, Ethan Downs, the other commitment out of Weatherford, Oklahoma. He's another six foot four kid. The guys, there, there's another uh, four star kid out of Arizona that's an edge player, six foot three, six foot four. We've got some big dudes that they're recruiting, and that's what we've been looking for. It's what a lot of people have been saying about our defense. They're just too small. We got too small of guys <laughs> in the secondary. Teddy, we, we, we've had these conversations. Mm-hmm. You and I have gone to the college football playoff to cover the games the last couple of years. And what was the first thing we said when we were down on the field for the Orange Bowl against Alabama? And the first thing we said when we were down on the field at the Peach Bowl against LSU, oh, no, they're a lot bigger. <laughs> that was the, I mean, that's the first thing we've said. So when you start seeing Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch go after guys with these type of frames, it's what you have to do. you got to get the guys that have the raw materials, mm-hmm. and you have to trust your coaches to teach them the techniques. And I think they're bringing in more big athletes. They, they realize what's gone wrong the last couple of trips to the college football playoff. They haven't had enough sand in the pants. They had, right. they had enough lead in the pencil, whatever euphemism you want to use. They've just been outsized. And listen, I know football is a little different now, and it's about spacing people out and, and speed and all that stuff, but big dudes still matter. They do. Yep. That's right. Got to have the meat and potatoes. And I'll tell you, whenever you look at the recruiting class that they're putting together defensively, man, um, Clayton Smith that we talked about, there's another kid down there at Texarkana, an actual defensive end is another gigantic dude that they feel like they got a good shot at. Um, you look at the, the guys they have committed right now and some of the targets they have out there that they feel like they've got a good shot at. This, this dude from Beggs, you seen this uh, defensive back from Beg? Six foot kid? four, yeah. two hundred pounds. You know he's got a chance to be unbelievable. He's another four star kid that's got offers from, you know, the who's who: Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Oklahoma, Texas A and M. I mean, it's the same same type of people that are coming after him. They think a lot of the teams out there are thinking he could be the next Isaiah Simmons. Okay, so that's the new comparison. With the kid okay, out of Okay, let's let's just calm down. Let's. Well, I think it's more. I believe that when I see it. Well, I mean, how many people are six foot four, two hundred forty pounds, run four three? I mean, there's uh, there's one person uh, that that can do that. But his name's Isaiah Simmons. Right. The the thought though is the body type is 
you know, what's everyone trying to do? They're trying to get more versatile where you can have edge guys that can do more. You can have edge guys that can run with vertical, uh, vertical routes in the slot. You know, I thought what Venables did with Isaiah Simmons was a bit too much, putting him back and playing deep thirds and different stuff like that. I thought it was just gimmicky. But the point is you want body types that, you know, can play every different position, you know, big enough, fast enough, strong enough to, to be able to cover people, to be able to beat offensive tackles, to be able to tackle physical running backs, to do everything type of guys. And that's kind of the mold that this kid's in. So, uh, and you know, the inside backer Stutzman out of Florida, he's a three-star kid, 100% guarantee he'll be a four-star by the time he, uh, he signs here at OU. They're putting together a class now. So yeah. it's, it's that, been a little bit slow getting the commitments to come compared to some others out there. But I, I, I feel like this class has a chance to be really, really good and something special. Uh, and that's why you're paying Alex Grinch what you're paying him, yeah. right? To change exactly. the culture and the makeup of that defense, not just from an X's and O's perspective, but from a body type perspective. A um, couple more updates on OU recruiting. Uh, they made the final four for Emeka Agbuka. Now, I'd like to apologize to his family because I'm sure I just butchered his <laughs> name, and I, I hate when I mispronounce names. It's a pet peeve of mine. But for 24-7 sports, their composite, he's their number one wide receiver in the class of 2021. So he comes out with his final four. Now, a lot of people think he's going to end up at Ohio State, but never hurts to be one of the last four, and OU's one of the last four with Ohio State, Clemson, and Washington. So we'll see how that works. I don't know how Mario Williams committing to OU affects his decision. Maybe they'll want to team up, similar to what we saw mm-hmm. you know, this last class, or what, two classes ago? With Weiss, Hazelwood, and Bridges, maybe something like that happens. You never know, especially if a guy like Caleb Williams commits soon to the Sooners, which it it seems like got some more momentum this weekend because Tua Tunga Vailoa's brother, Talia, is headed to Maryland. Isn't that convenient? Well, uh... The Williams kid at quarterback, I mean, you can kind of say this every year. There's special guys every year, but, you know, he's he's the first quarterback that I've really watched that I'm like, wow. Uh, I like what he does. I like the way he runs. I like the, he's got a big arm. I mean, he 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 checks every single box like like a lot of these guys that are coming out do. Um, it, it's It's exciting. Here's the thing, man. Oklahoma they're always going to be in it for the best quarterback on a year where they want it. Uh, the best wide receivers, best skill position guys, you know, that's, that's the thing right now is we're, you know, even offensive line, even, you know, some of the guys that the Bryce Foster get, kid, yeah. right. I mean, gigantic what, athlete out of the, Texas, the Tristan Lake kid. I, I think I wouldn't be shocked if both of those kids mm-hmm. end up, coming to Oklahoma to play for Bill Beatonbow. I mean, Bill Beatonbow's got the juice right yeah. now, and he should because he's the best damn offensive line coach in the country. And see, and, and this is what I've been talking about defensively 
and why it's so hard competing against the SEC. Why are we getting all these guys on the offensive end? Is it because, you know, they think Lincoln Riley's cool and they like Air Jordans? No, they see these guys going the first pick in the NFL draft. They see wide receivers going in the top half, uh, top 20 of the NFL draft year after year. They see offensive linemen that are on rosters across the entire NFL. They see tight end, uh, you know, Mackey Award type of guys and Pro Bowl type of tight ends with Andrews. So it's, the, it's how this offense is translating to the NFL. You've got a chance at all these great recruits. I'm hoping Kenneth Murray starts that trend defensively. Now, we're just in the beginning phase of it. And it's going to have to – we're going to have to continue to pick up and, and wait for some of these recruits to get there to where they're, you know, juniors and seniors. But it's, it's, a, it's a positive trend right now. It's been a long time since we've had a defender go in the first round. So hopefully we can build on it like the offense has. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of OU fans will keep monitoring – Caleb Williams' Twitter feed, not the fake account that you got fooled by. I know but, it, but his his actual Twitter feed, because I I do think a lot of people are surprised that he hasn't committed to Oklahoma yet. Now I I would never rush a kid, especially a kid that talented. So if it's between OU and Maryland, if those are the two choices, I love that Tua's little brother <laughs> just went to Maryland, and I love that Lincoln Riley in the last three drafts, has a second rounder and then two guys that went number one overall. Right. If you don't want to come play for Lincoln Riley, I don't know what to say. I I really don't. I really don't. Well, if you're comparing Oklahoma and Maryland, then, you know, really what are we talking about? Maybe Caleb Williams likes Under Armour stuff. Here's what I'll say. I want him to hold off before he commits because, you know, if there's one thing that, this whole pandemic has done it's turned me into a guy that actually follows recruiting Gabe never looked at it before okay first of all first of all full disclosure you and I are not recruiting guys but this was a huge story locally with what Oklahoma did this week in recruiting so that's why we're talking about it we don't necessarily care that much but you're right. I had so much time. That's Eddie, I watched like ten watched videos of each of these guys. Yeah, same thing. Same thing. I've watched. I've watched more high school kids on huddle. I'm starting to feel a bit like a creep. But um, there has been some interesting stuff, and it's been a good year. So that's why I say to to the Williams kid, don't commit yet. I need things. We need things to talk about, Gabe. Oh. I feel you. Don't don't pile them all up at once. Right. Is what you're saying. Okay. Spread this thing out. Yeah. Spread it out. Spread it out. Now let's finish up with a couple segments, Ted. Now we already got FGTB out of the way with our last dance talk, so let's just move on to our winners and losers of the weekend. Like our boy Toby Key says, we got winners, we got losers. Ted, who you got for your winner and loser of the weekend? For the winners, I'm going with the PGA guys, uh, being able to wear shorts out on the course. I mean, you and I know um, we both run a little hot, tend to sweat a little bit whenever it's warm out there. People do not want to see our shirts <laughs> underneath those jackets when we're doing Sooner Game Day, the pregame show with our boy Chad McKee. It is a bloodbath under there. 
we uh, we should invent a terry cloth uh, dress shirt to wear under our uh, suit jackets but the pga guys got to throw some shorts on i know i don't know if that was actually a sanctioned event or what exactly that was but so see it was it was a there. fundraiser it was a charity yeah. event for you know covid19 relief which i thought was really cool but i did kind of like the skins i watched quite a bit of it i did kind of like the skins format i'm a skins kind of guy now uh, i wish rory and matthew wolf or not rory but uh ricky and matthew wolf would have just destroyed Rory and Dustin Johnson, but it just wasn't meant to be, I suppose. It, the, the, I was confused at the end when it just randomly went to a closest to the pin. I was like, wait, what just happened? <laughs> I, I, well, seeing the guys in shorts was interesting because it looks like you're watching uh, a couple of guys at the local course play a little bit. It's not nearly as formal, and I imagine those guys – you know, maybe they practice wearing the pants because trying to, to recreate what it's going to be like out there. But being able to wear the shorts out on the course had to be awesome for those guys because I can't tell you how miserable it would be in the heat, in the humidity, wearing the, the golf pants. The, the shorts were clearly great, but there was nothing more majestic on that golf course than Ricky Fowler's mustache. Oh, my God. That thing was it, it it was elite and i will say i got no problem saying this ricky fowler is the oklahoma state alum that is the easiest to cheer for i i'm not entirely sure why i don't know the guy at all but i find it very easy to cheer for his success he just seems like a good likable guy i i, I don't know i've always been a ricky fowler fan Always. There's there's some guys in the PGA that I pull against. Very few that I pull against, but there are some. Um, I pull against everyone if Tigers uh, hunting there at the at the end of the the day on Sunday. But other than that, I usually don't care. And Ricky's one of the guys that I just don't care. I, I mean, I think he's enjoyable. I think he's entertaining. But man, does he need to get it done in a major? So yeah, that's uh, at this point. He's made a ton of money. He's got a ton of endorsements. I guess the major things really. Yeah. The only thing you can say bad about the guy, because I've never heard a bad thing about him as a person. Same. Yeah. Now Absolutely. a lot of people, Same. a lot of people, may say some bad things about Matthew Wolf's golf swing. All I know is I saw that dude drive the ball like 360 yards today, and don't change anything, buddy. Just keep doing you. Do your thing, man. It looks like an unfolding lawn chair, but it gets absolutely beautiful results. And there may be something, you know, it's interesting you bring that up. I've never heard anything bad about Fowler either. Everyone loves him out on the tour. I've heard a bunch of bad things about Tiger. I've heard a bunch of bad things now about Jordan. Yeah, there's a Is bunch there a of correlation there. Well, two guys win a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. are, are you looking for some sort of other correlation possibly? I'm just saying nice guys finish last maybe. I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm just saying. For my loser, you touched on this earlier, and I just kind of danced around He's not around finishing it. last. Ricky Fowler's making a shit ton of money golfing. I think he's doing fine, but I, I see what okay. you're saying. Okay. Uh, good guys finish somewhere other than first. Um, I, I danced around this when you brought it up earlier because I, I had to bring it up. The lady from behind the Pacers bench or at the Pacers game in with the, the last Karen game. haircut. 
Is she your loser? She's my loser because some lady somewhere was watching this documentary tonight and thinking, you know, this is going to be fun. We get to come to the conclusion of the last dance. It's, it's been fun so far. Let's see where it ends. And then they start talking about that Pacers series. And she probably says, Oh my God, I was was there. there. That was, Oh, that was so bad. I thought we had him. And then they show her on TV. Can you imagine the feeling you would have if they caught one of your bad moments on television that happened how many years ago 22 years ago everyone's forgotten about it nobody knows and she's just screaming in your fucking face (laughs) which is elite fandom and those those utah fans those people are savages savages i just pray that something i did in a horrible moment 18 years ago doesn't make it onto national television in the pandemic when everyone on the planet is watching. That's my hope. Especially with that haircut. She's going to be famous though. That's one of the interesting things about this documentary is it spun off a bunch of like famous people that we wouldn't have thought of the security guard, obviously with the, uh, the haircut that took money. Oh, and we didn't even talk about Gus. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that was, that was emotional, and I, I read something after it that Michael Jordan gave Gus his championship rings. I don't know if that's true, but it was from Maybe a blue check mark. Ball. Yeah, it was the Pacers game. That was I mean, cool. He said he was like a father figure to him, so we, we all need a Gus. Well, we a Gus. another thing I noticed, and Gus's wife was sitting in what appeared to be a beautiful home that I didn't – I wouldn't think that security guard money – paid for but uh it it seems like michael jordan if if you were in the trust tree i I, i'm guessing he took care of you yeah he seems like a guy that now now maybe it could be wrong i don't know i still think his personal assistant slash best friend looks unlike what i would expect his personal outside the circle of trust at this point it looks like i he he seems like he's falling on hard times maybe maybe (laughs) He needs to find his Gus, possibly. I, I think we'll probably end up out of this thing having a documentary documentary on uh, what was it Wozniak that that guy or whatever his yeah, name with the, was with the mullet Jerry Curl, Epic. and then a uh, probably a documentary on the golf hustler that took uh, Jordan's money, and then this lady that was screaming at him from behind the bench. Who do you think had a tougher night watching this? The lady not knowing she was going to be on it. Now, that's assuming she's still alive, which I assume she is. She seemed pretty young in that clip. Do you think it was rougher for that lady or for Brian Russell and his family having to relive it again? Um, Especially with the new angles. Because well, even Bob Costas was like, oh, he didn't push off. He was already stumbling. And they showed it, and they slow-moed it a little bit. And I was like, oh. That angle, he is stumbling. Yeah, and his hand on that last angle just looks more like it brushes him than anything. Just wanted to feel a little of that booty meat. That's it. You know, here's the thing. Rarely in life are people so famous and so well-known, well-liked, admired that one of your worst moments coming against them makes you famous and 
you kind of bask in the spotlight a little bit more. Like, no one in the world is going to be mad that he got a shot hit on him by the greatest player of all time. But everyone's going to be talking about it. He's going to be making the circuits tomorrow, right? I mean, he's going to be on every every show, every, every you know, radio show is going to try and have him on. So it's rare that you get taken by uh, people so great that they make you famous for hitting a shot on you. Yeah. He and Craig Elo, right? Yeah. At least, I mean, at least Brian Russell's was in the finals. Elo's probably yeah. just like, why is this shot so damn famous? Like, I get it. <laughs> like, I know it won the game, but can we just get over it? Um, Ted, my winner of the weekend, Texas Tech students. Now, oh. you and I, we have had some run-ins with the Texas Tech student section in our day. They are a spirited group, a, a very engaged group, I would say. Fickle, though. Fickle. They're usually yes. gone by halftime. Yes. If you're playing they're, they're, They want to get out and go drink as soon as possible, which I respect. I respect that. But they found out who their commencement address is going to come from. And they're going to do virtual graduation just like everyone else is doing right now. It's just, hey, it is what it is. We're all trying to make the best of the whole coronavirus thing. But they get Patrick Mahomes as their commencement speaker. Now, I don't know how great that speech is going to be, but it's going to be memorable. Number one, the guy's the best football player on the planet right now. That's that's just the truth. You're going to remember that that guy gave your commencement speech. Number two, his voice is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> so you're going to get the combination of those two things. And also, he'll probably have some useful things to say. You know, people doubting you, don't listen to the haters. You know, you can do everything you want to do. You can accomplish whatever you want to accomplish. Stuff like that. I'm sure it'll be fine. Patrick Mahomes seems like a sharp guy. Everyone that I know that's been around him say he's a great guy, down-the-earth guy awesome guy to be around i'm sure it'll be great but the texas tech students are winners because they're going to remember who did their commencement address which leads me to a question i have for you theodore who did your college commencement speech wasn't there i have no idea what do you mean you weren't there i didn't i didn't even i only i was only at ou for like what was it? Three. I didn't graduate. I was only there for three and a half years. Oh yeah. You were that good at football. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> who did, uh, who did yours? You wrote it down. No, I wrote it down because I remembered it because my brother was a big fan of his book and the 2013 commencement speech was by a guy named Fareed Zakaria, ah. who is an author. Um, he's got a show on CNN. Now when he did it, CNN, uh, I, I think had a better, better reputation around these parts than it does currently. I would say <laughs> um, he wrote he and I, he still writes, I believe for the Washington post. Once again, Washington post had a different <laughs> reputation than it does currently around here, but he was very eloquent. He's one of those people. Fareed Zakaria was one of those people where you heard him speak and you instantly were like, that guy's fucking smarter than me. Like, right. Immediately. And you're like, I need to listen to what this guy says. Now, I was very drunk, so I, I don't remember a ton of what he said. I could probably find a video somewhere of what he said, but it was good. I remember feeling inspired, Teddy, 
but I didn't know. Have you, you ever had to do any uh, speech like something like that in front no, of a bunch of people? No, I, I talked to Bishop McGinnis one time, my, the principal, David Morton. He asked me to come talk to some of the kids, um, and it was the eighth graders. It was, it's what's called Feeder Leader Day. Nice. So all the Catholic grade schools that feed Bishop McGinnis, they send some of their – you know, kids that have the, the most potential, right? It, it's kind of an honor to get to go. And I spoke to them and they, I basically turned it into a and a And I have not been asked to do that again, is the way I will put it. <laughs> because some would say that I was too honest and open, possibly, maybe. Definitely. Well, hey. I definitely was. You you gotta you gotta stay true to yourself, Gabe. It's true. I mean that's 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 what I thought. So I I told the truth. Maybe I told too much, too much, <laughs> too much of the truth. Uh, now my loser of the weekend, Ted. It was not the best weekend for the National Football League. Uh, I just want to make it clear: anyone listening, you cannot rob people. You can't have illegal guns, and driving under the influence is illegal. You can't do these things. These are not an NFL problem. These are a society problem. These are what I like to call stupid people problems. Stupid people do these things. Are you telling me that stupid people rob people that they know? The point (laughs) of a burglary is to get away where nobody knew what You're supposed happened. to rob strangers if you rob anyone, right? I, uh, but what? my loser of the weekend, mo- more specifically, Ed Oliver. Now, you, you had a great rookie year. You're productive. You are pulling a trailer that's got a dune buggy on it. And you're drunk while you're doing anybody that's ever pulled a trailer behind a truck or an SUV knows it is not that easy. You have to have a lot of practice doing it. The fact that you were so drunk doing it and so bad at it that someone on the road in the state of Texas, (laughs) it's not like this happened in New York or California. This is in Texas where shit's a little different. You were driving so badly that you got a DWI. I I just don't understand. First of all, you got so much money. Take an Uber. Just take an Uber. I I guess you may be difficult to find an Uber that'll take your dune buggy. (laughs) But I just, dude, I don't don't understand stuff like this. It's just, it it doesn't make sense to me. And I, I just hope. This isn't a result of the trauma that he went through when Major Applewhite wouldn't let him wear that jacket on the sideline. I know. It's a good point. Maybe that's it. It's a good point. He's really sticking it to uh, Major Applewhite, showing him who's the bigger man now, isn't he? I just – I like thinking about this from Buffalo's perspective. You drafted him in the first round. What was he, like, number ninth pick overall or something like that? Early. Drafted him with a top ten pick. Are you more upset that your top 10 pick defensive lineman is out 
driving a doom buggy or are you more upset about the DWI or the firearm that he had illegally? Oh man, I completely forgot about the gun. <laughs> and he has a gun. What are you right. doing? Right. I mean, I know it's the most Texas thing to have a doom buggy, a gun, and a beer, but you're supposed That's to That's like be- how every joke about Texas starts. That's the Texas triplet, all right? Doom buggies, beers, and guns. But you're supposed to enjoy all three separately, okay? Not at the same exact time. Port I just, Buffalo, their GM is probably like, oh, my God. But here's the thing. They dodged a bullet. Their defensive tackle didn't break his leg riding a doom buggy. He didn't, you know, wreck the car or, you know, something horrible happened with the gun. So – as bad as it is, I mean, at least he's in one piece. I just, I just don't understand. I don't understand the, the details of that story. I was reading them going, really? I mean, really? Well, the first one you referenced, who is set to make $2 million in a season and robs some people for I, a couple grand? I, I can't wait for all the details from that story to come out. I know it sounds like what? Both guys turned themselves in, bonded out maybe. I just want – I want all the details. It sounds to me like they – well, they don't rob those people unless there's going to be a ton of money there. And there was. Like some of the amount of money these people had on them cash-wise, sounds like they were robbing a bunch of drug dealers. And typically, if you rob a bunch of drug dealers, they're not going to call the cops. But <laughs> someone called the cops, and but uh, here we are. I, I don't know much. I, I grew up in Nichols Hills. I'm not going to pretend like I grew up in some rough streets. But robbing drug dealers seems like a bad idea. It, especially, it just again, seems when they like know a bad who idea. you are. Yeah, right? especially if you know them. I just <laughs> it, it seems like a bad idea. I, I don't know. But let's talk about some good ideas, and we'll finish this thing up with everyone's favorite segment, Ted, and that is keeping it local, where we highlight something going on in the great state of Oklahoma. And we have a couple great stories. And we'll start first in Tulsa, where the rumors are swirling. Will Tesla and everyone's favorite California weirdo, Elon Musk, will they end up? with a factory, I think they call them gigafactories or something fancy like that, in Tulsa, they're allegedly a finalist along with Austin to have one of these factories. It would be great for the state of Oklahoma. We're talking over 10,000 new jobs for the state if this can happen. Now, there's some reports that it's already a done deal for Austin, but just last week, Supposedly, Tesla was looking at some sites in Tulsa. Teddy, I know you may not be the biggest electric car guy, but this would be huge for Oklahoma. Love them. If there is any way that Oklahoma could, um, you know, capture the uh, electric car market or, I mean, help capture it and be a part of it, that's a huge positive for this state. Um, I don't know if it's one year, 10 years, 100 years, but 
we're moving to electric vehicles. It's inevitable. That's where things are going. That's what GM is starting to do. The, Cad the entire Cadillac line is supposed to be electric by 2030, which seems like uh, a distant world, but it's really not that far off. So, um, yeah, I think it would be awesome. I propose you change the name from Tulsa, Oklahoma to Tesla, Oklahoma. Do it. You, you got to do whatever you got to do. I'm sure Come that'll on. go over well. Let's go. Let's just but, change it. Austin sucks. The traffic's terrible. That, they got a horrible football team. I they that, they do. That's true. Um, isn't there enough shit in Austin? Enough isn't there enough stuff. clutter? Didn't, didn't they get like an Apple thing already? They've got you know they've kind of turned it into a tech hub. Like we get it. Yeah, keep Austin weird. Yeah, we get it. They have enough stuff. Give Oklahoma something. Come on, Elon. Makes more sense. Central hub. You can ship all over the country. I will, I will make Elon Makes Musk sense. this promise. If he brings Tesla to Tulsa, I will buy one of those cyber trucks. Why not? I'll buy one. Sure. I, I am in the, I'm in the very, very, very small minority of people that actually loves that truck. Hey, I, I don't mind it. I guarantee it, you it would get people's attention when I'm rolling around in that thing. That's it. Like, is it is it like the best looking thing ever? No, not really. But everybody would look at that thing whenever you drove by. I think it's really cool. So, yep. no, I'm a I'm a I'm a big fan of Tesla. I like and, I like what they do a lot. And I'm sure just, Kevin's they're about to debut the million mile batteries. You see that? Ooh, that's a lot of miles. Um, I'm sure Kevin Stitt is offering up some mighty fine tax Tell breaks. Do what you want us to do. We'll do it. Yep. Why not? Let's do it. Why not? And it, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if Tulsa can get that done. We're rooting for you. 918. Hopefully that would be so cool. That happens. Uh, one other big piece of information, especially for you and me, Ted, uh, Senate bill 1928. Now we don't talk politics really on this show, but this is something that got passed approved, I guess is probably the proper word by the state house and senate here in the state of oklahoma and if kevin stitt gives it the seal of approval alcohol delivery and curbside sales would become permanent meaning that liquor stores could deliver beer wine and spirits restaurants bars grocery stores convenience stores and clubs could deliver beer and wine now, this excludes third-party vendors like DoorDash, DoorDash and Uber Eats and all the other stuff people use, but this seems like a no-brainer. Sign it, Stit. I want to be able to get my liquor delivered. Prairie Wolf Vodka, straight to my doorstep. Sign me up. I, here's my one thing, though. I, I, I love it. But why would they eliminate a third-party vendor? I mean, the whole point, at least I, I think one of the, the great aspects of it is if a liquor store is delivering, what does that mean? It means the drunk's not driving to the liquor store, right? That's, that's the beauty of this. But how many people will, will leave their house or the party, wherever they are, to go to the convenience store to get another 30-pack? Why, why are they eliminating the, the Uber Eats or whatever from that? Yeah, well, I don't. 
But I, the, maybe I those know. guys I are think in it's, Jeopardy delivering to drunk people. Maybe I don't. Yeah, know. Yeah, and I and I think it it has a lot to do with the licensing, right? I, I'm not going to pretend I know the ends. Maybe and it'll outs end of, up there if you start with this original bill, and yeah, maybe that's yeah, the, maybe it it advances, you know, kind I'm of progresses down the line. Oh, I'm not having to go anywhere. The the alcohol comes to me. Beautiful, Teddy. That's this this is this is like a dream of mine. I don't know well, why this isn't already a thing. We're getting awkwardly close to never having to leave our homes again. Isn't that uh, weird? <laughs> work, groceries, booze. Okay. I mean, if you've got a gym at your house, why ever leave? If you got a gym and like a pool, everything else can come to you. That's right. I, That's right. Which it's I love. I, I love staying close. home. It's the best. Man, we, uh, I haven't left like, I wish I could say I'm trying to be smart and, you know, I'm, I'm doing my part. It's more so that we just like being home now. It's, it's great. It's great. You got that <laughs> new beautiful house you guys built. Why would you ever leave? We were at the pool today. We had the uh, neighbors were over. It was fun, man. We're, we're yeah. doing it. I, I had an interesting weekend. We went over, played some pickleball at the father-in-law's on Sunday, but uh, on Saturday, I did something that was a first. Uh, one of my wife's best friends is starting up, is working for a startup CBD company out in California. And to bring attention, I think, to their Instagram, I participated in a cardio dance class. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're talking jumping jack punch, jumping jack punch, pop it, wow. pop it, body rolls. I, and I was, Ted, I was getting it, bro. Like I was, was not it? holding back. I, Would you do it again? We did it for 45 minutes. So I, I was not, not tired. I mean, I was doing, I was moving my fat ass around for 45 minutes. Yeah. I was tired. Dude. If I did something for 45 minutes straight, I would be soaked in oh, sweat. I was, it doesn't really even matter how intense it is. I was disgusting. <laughs> and I was, it, which is, which is fun. All right. Let's, let's finish this up with a couple of the Twitter questions from the listeners. Uh, this first one comes from Jackson Moore at Jackson Moore one. He says, what new quarantine activity you picked up? Will you keep doing after all this has passed? That's an easy okay. one. I'll go. It's an easy one for me. Um, my wife cracked me. We ordered a Peloton uh, when, you know, kind of, towards the beginning of the quarantine and that thing is awesome it's awesome my knees feel good my hips feel good it's so low impact i am going to be pelotoning for the rest of my days <laughs> i i am i am and it's it, it's great and i know a lot of people like alex toussaint as their instructor and he's great but i'm starting to become a ben aldis guy i'm i'm not gonna lie he's got a british accent kind of cool He's really clear with his instructions, Teddy. This is way too much detail. The answer for me, I will be Pelotoning in the future well, for sure. That's something I didn't do and, until quarantine. My answer's easy, but it's a little embarrassing maybe. I have started playing Mario Kart, and I've even been playing Mario Kart online, Gabe. Against uh, some other gamers out there. 
Yeah. I'm so a gamer. You're, you're playing online Mario Kart against other adults? I don't know. It's in with the Nintendo, you can't really tell who you're playing. I'm guessing some of them are adults. There's probably it's probably a decent mix. Is there a mic function where you can talk to the other players? No. Dang it. I know. I would I would part pay, of me was upset about that. The other part I was kind of happy about it. I would pay good money to get the audio of you talking trash to like a 13-year-old kid. Oh, there's Gabe. There's no way I would ever get upset and cuss uh, at a video game ever. That's I've not seen me. you. I've <laughs> seen you play your son in video games. It's, it's a knockdown drag out. You're you're ruthless, man. Oh my gosh. It's fun. Um it took me forever. I got destroyed whenever I first started playing online, but hey, I'm actually pretty good now, man. Mario well, Kart. Hey, never would have thought. Keep working at it. We, I believe in you. Um, our last question comes from Blake Capshaw at Blake8T3 on Twitter. He says, since both of you were Oklahoma high school players, who was the best player you ever played against in high school? Ooh, that's a really tough question. Um, my brain immediately goes to a Millwood team. We played my sophomore year. Um, they had several D1 guys, but they had a guy named Gerald Jones who played quarterback for them. He went on to play at Tennessee. He was an absolute athletic freak in high school. And was a productive player in college. Uh, didn't do as well as we all thought he would. But that team, that same Millwood team, also had Gil Roberts on it, who played wide receiver for Millwood. He ended up running the 200 meters in the Olympics. Wow. So to say he was fast is quite the understatement. And then probably the most successful guy from an athletics perspective that I played against in high school Dallas Keuchel was Bishop Kelly's quarterback Wow! when I played them my first couple of years of high school and, you know, obviously went on to win the Cy Young. So, yeah, Keuchel's probably the most successful guy I played against, and he also has one hell of a beard, so that's always a good thing too. Yeah. Well, I would say for me um, – <laughs> I, we played in the state championship game against Weatherford in whenever I was at Fort Gibson. And that Weatherford team had Wes Sims, Lance Donnelly, Russell Dennison, Ooh, man. Uh, Clay Aiken, who started at guard for Oklahoma State for two or three years. And their quarterback – He also was great on American Idol. <laughs> Wasn't that guy's name? Maybe it's Chris Aiken. Something Aiken. Uh, but I think you're right. And their quarterback, uh, Matt Black, some, I think was his name, played Major League Baseball, was a pitcher. That was They were all on one team in 4A. So they Wait, were, his name was Matt Black? I think. Well, it, it, I'm just saying like that, like the color of a car, like Matt Black, that's a, probably that, that wasn't a thing then, but now right? it's a thing. 
And that's a badass name in hindsight. Uh, just add a T to it now, right? That's all you got to do. But uh, they were really good. But I played against a couple of individual guys that at the time, like I thought they were, I thought they were really good football players. Um, the first one was a uh, kid named Josh Holman from Salisaw. He was fantastic. Uh, he was a linebacker, running back, was all over the field. I think he, I think he may have went and played at Wyoming, but I'm not sure. Um, and then there was a dude from Skyatook, and his name was Willie Grunwald, and he was amazing. He was huge. He was a couple years older than me. But he was like six foot three, two hundred and twenty-five pounds. Was a running back and linebacker, and I believe, and he was a really good wrestler. I believe he was supposed to go wrestle at Oklahoma State. I don't know if he ever did or not. Don't know whatever happened to him. Uh, and then there was a kid that I played against from Ida Bell. His name was Cedric Cherry, and he was like six foot six, you know, two hundred and thirty some pounds. And uh, was a really good player. I don't know what happened, where he ended up. And the last guy, uh, a, a guy from Shakota, was a running back. That was, and I played against him from seventh grade all the way through high school. His name was Brian Warrior. Was a really good running back, shifty, fast. He had all of it. I don't know if he went and played anywhere, but those are some of the guys I played against. Yeah, and a name that a lot of OU fans will probably remember, Gus Jones. Uh, played at Wagner. We had some good battles mm -hmm. with Wagner in the playoffs. And by good battles, we would go up 21 to nothing, and they didn't know what hit them in the face. Um, also, uh, Glenpool, they had a running back. I think he ended up playing defensive back at Tulsa. A guy named Marco Nelson, he was a good player. Uh, I mean, solid player. That was a good question. Yeah. That, that, talk about Memory lane. Yeah. I hadn't thought about some of those guys in a long time, but some good football players out there. And that's the thing, man. There's a lot of really good high school football players that, you know, maybe undersized or don't test out of this world, but are really just good all around players. Yeah, there's no doubt, especially I, I, I will say it again and again and again, the state of Oklahoma is under recruited. It is. There's good football players. Just give the boys a chance. All right, Ted. Hey, episode eight in the books yeah we'll have a new podcast that'll drop thursday morning just a reminder you can hear teddy from two to six on sports talk 1400 you can hear me on sirius xm big 12 radio channel 375 we hope you all have a great start to your week until next time we appreciate y'all for listening and do what you always do oklahoma take care of each other
for just one 